No, no cartwheel this time. I have to apologize. Um, I, I didn't realize how important that would be to some people. The last time I preached up here, I did a cartwheel because it was Easter. I mean, Easter is huge, right? So I thought, well, let's celebrate. So I did a cartwheel, and a lot of people said, oh, I missed it. Sorry, I didn't realize it was going to be that important. So do it again. It's, it's something I kind of have to work up to, but I'm sure you'll see me do something strange up here at some point. Second Corinthians 4.7 says, We have this treasure in earthen vessels to show that this power is from God and not from us. So I want you to hear what God has to say to you today. I'm going to start with a common phrase. I hope it's common that you've at least heard of it. Discretion is the better part of valor. valor. True? I say to you, nope. And I'm going to explain it to you. Anybody know who wrote this? I'll tell you later on in the sermon. I'll give you a hint. It was not John Wayne at the Alamo. John Wayne wasn't actually at the real Alamo, as I'm sure most of you can tell. But I did see the movie, The Alamo, in which he played, anyone know? Davy Crockett, very good, we got some movie trivia people. John Wayne played Davy Crockett, and he actually said this in the movie. He said it seemed like the better part of valor. So anyway, he's not the one who wrote it. Discretion. Make sure my thing is on here. Okay, there we go. Discretion according to the dictionary, means prudence, decorum, quality of being, circumspect, being aware of all that's going on around you, modest or unobtrusive, also sober, watchful, well-considered, humble in one's own estimation, limited, free from being showy, or extravagant, inconspicuous. The other definition is the freedom to decide or act according to one's own judgment or choice. But I'm going to focus more on the first definition today. When you see these words, you think about what this means. Do certain people come to mind? I've got several in mind. Some people are just really good at this, really good at being discreet, sober, uh, humble, unobtrusive, not being the person that gets in your face and is always wanting the spotlight. I kind of struggle with that. I like the spotlight. So this is, this is also good for me. Biblically speaking, discretion is mentioned many times, particularly in the book of Proverbs. First Chronicles 22.12 says, May the Lord give you discretion and understanding when he puts you in command over Israel so that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Psalm 112.5 says, A good man deals graciously and lends. He will guide his affairs with discretion. Proverbs 1.4 
to give prudence to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. I'm guessing that also applies to young ladies. Proverbs 2.11, discretion will preserve you. Understanding will keep you. There again we see understanding paired with discretion. Proverbs 3.21, my son, let them not depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. <clears throat> Proverbs 5.2, that you may preserve discretion and your lips may keep knowledge. Proverbs 8.12, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge and discretion. Are you starting to see a theme here? Proverbs 11.22, like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who lacks discretion. Also translated good sense. Proverbs 19.11, the discretion of a man makes him slow to anger. And his glory is to overlook a transgression. Daniel 2.14, then with counsel, wisdom, and discretion, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill all the wise men of Babylon. Thank you, Nebuchadnezzar. There's two others here, I think, yeah, Jeremiah 10.12 and Hosea 10.10 that refer to the second definition of Discretion. In all these verses, discretion seems to run along with some other things. It runs along with knowledge. It runs along with understanding. It runs along with wisdom. All these things that we're encouraged to gain more of. Which tells me that this can be learned. Some people are just naturally boisterous, right? They're loud, they're dramatic. They are fine with being in front of people. Discretion may be a little harder for those kinds of people to learn, but it can be learned, just like wisdom can be learned, right? Knowledge can be learned. Understanding can be gained. Wisdom is one of those things. I'm sorry, discretion is one of those things. Soberness, watchfulness, decorum, these things can be learned. I think it's one of the great tragedies in our culture today that the word manners is used so little. We don't talk about it very much. We don't expect it very much. Like discretion, manners can be learned. They can be taught. They can also be caught. If you're around someone with good manners, you start to notice things about yourself, don't you? You ever sit next to someone who's always sitting up straight? You start to notice things about your posture. You ever sit next to someone with excellent pronunciation? You start to hear things in your speech. If you're with someone who's got discretion going on, you'll probably notice some things about yourself. The Bible says, he who walks with the wise becomes wise. And it's the same here. Discretion, restraint, Purposeful use, quiet execution. This is the opposite of reckless, loud, attention-grabbing, foolish, and brazen, which seem to be very accurate descriptors of our pop culture, and in particular, social media. Can I get an amen? 
I get on Facebook and I love reading posts from Bud Green and Dallas Henry and several others of you. They're always fun and they uh, teach me things. But there's a lot of things out there, especially some of the ads. Oh, it's like I need to get a, a good cleansing after I look at some of them. Our culture wants every emotional reaction to be a national event with special food in its own section in the greeting cards app. Why and when did we become a nation that spends all its time in the stands of the emotional gladiator arena? Survivor, Big Brother, reality TV, America's Got Talent, American Idol, even the Olympics seem to be less about performances anymore and more about reactions of judges, contestants, and the audience. So many interviews by journalists, sports reporters, and talk show hosts have the emotional response of the audience and speaker as the primary focus. This is not discretion. This is degrading. Button pushing is thoughtless, careless, and without godly purpose. Why the increase in emphasizing emotion in our pop culture? Why all the ranting and raving in social media? Well, emotion sells because... We react. <gasps> did you see? That? Did you hear? Did, have you heard? It? It, we react with more emotion. I've seen this happen in my own kitchen. So <laughs> I didn't say you started it. I just said it happens in my own kitchen. Doesn't matter who starts it. Somebody else goes, well, well, and before you know it, you've got three people just shouting at each other over something like toaster settings. We react so easily. We don't even stop to think, should I react? How should I react? What would Jesus do? Our knee jerks and off we go. Controversy is the same way. Controversy sells because we react. Tragedy sells because we react. Excitement sells because we react. We forget about the highly purposeful actions of our Lord and His parables that warn us against thoughtless reactions. You remember the parable of the servant who was forgiven this exorbitant amount of money and then immediately went out and started strangling a fellow servant who owed him chump change. That was a reaction. Not very purposeful. Not very discreet. And we are the same way. So as I thought about Reactions. My schooling came back to me. I don't know how many of you, uh, let's do a show of hands, how many of you who have a college degree have actually used your college degree to earn money? Show of hands. Okay, good. I got to use mine for a little while. I actually trained to be a science teacher because I love to dissect human bodies. I'm that weird guy. 
Uh, but I didn't actually spend most of my career teaching science. Most of my 23 years in education has been teaching math, which is nothing like dissecting a human body. But I remember when I took chemistry, which was something of a struggle for me, uh, I, f I found it fascinating. I even took organic chemistry, two semesters of it when I didn't have to, because I loved the subject and I loved the professor. He was from India. His name was Dr. George X. Tybelikakas. And he was fun. Except when he gave back my tests after he graded them. Because he would always look at me and say, don't be discouraged. <laughs> Thanks, Doc. Appreciate that. <laughs> but in chemistry, the word reaction is an important word. Because the way things react to each other determines what they can create and the properties of what they create and what you can do with it or not do with it and whether it's dangerous or not. Some things are highly reactive. Some things are even radioactive where they give off particles of energy and you have to be careful how much of it you get exposed to. Which is kind of similar to some kinds of reactive people. You have to be careful how much of it you expose yourself to. It'll cook your insides, man. You've got to watch that. So let's learn a lesson from the atoms about discretion. If you will look, uh, I, I guess to you it's to your right, um, the blue vertical column 17, everybody see that? It's got the F at the top, that has nothing to do with your grade, don't worry. F-C-L-B-R-I-N-A-T. That column is the most reactive set of elements in the whole table. Those guys will react at the drop of a hat. It doesn't take much. Now, right next to them, the pink column, column 18, called the noble gases, is the most unreactive column in the whole table. They're often called inert. I heard somebody say it out there. Inert because they just don't react. They don't combine with things. They don't cause reactions. They don't drive. They, they just don't react. They just sit there. Well, there's a reason for that. It has to do with the way these atoms are built. If you look at that first guy on the upper left, that is what element? Anyone know? Hydrogen. Hydrogen, that's right. First thing I think of is the Hindenburg when I think of hydrogen. Hydrogen can be a part of some pretty violently reactive stuff. There's a reason. If you look at hydrogen, how many blue circles do you see orbiting hydrogen's nucleus there? Just one. This is called an electron. Every atom has a certain number of electrons that orbit around its nucleus, kind of like planets around the sun. Hydrogen has one, but it's not happy with just one. The first electron orbital is made to have two electrons. Every atom, its first orbital, the one closest to the nucleus, is designed to have two in order to be stable. Since hydrogen only has one, this is what makes it so reactive and why it so readily combines with so many things. 
it needs that other electron to be stable. And it can't do it on its own. It's got to have either another hydrogen or another oxygen or something to share an electron with so that it's got stability. Contrast that with the one to the right of it at the top. HE stands for helium. Oh boy, just love helium. Helium has two. Helium is stable. Helium doesn't react with very much. And it takes a lot of energy to make one of those noble gases react because they are stable. They've got what they need. They're full up. They're good. They got both feet on the ground. You contrast that with hydrogen. And you begin to understand why hydrogen is so much more reactive than helium. Now, as you go through the chart from top to bottom and from left to right, the numbers increase. Uh, that is an indication not just of the size of the nucleus, but of the numbers of electrons orbiting around the nucleus. And each, each time you go up, you have to add electrons, but you also add orbitals. The first orbital we talked about requires two electrons. The second orbital requires eight. And they keep going like that, on and on. Now we've got, golly, how many? Like 115 elements now, I think. Most of the ones after 92 are man-made, but uh, the higher up you get with the numbers, the more electrons you have to have and the more orbitals you have to have in order for them to fit. So at each level, the noble gases have their outer orbital completely full, which means, of course, that all the inner ones are also full. So the more full orbitals you have, the more stable you are. This is why they don't react. They're full, man. They got all they need. They're good to go. They are electronegatively neutral. Electronegativity is the word we use to describe how reactive these atoms are. Because if they're highly electronegative, it means they need another electron or two or three or however many it is. So, lower right, N-E. Anyone know what uh, element that is? Neon, very good. Neon's got the two in the first orbital. How many in the second? It's got eight. It's good. It's stable. It's got all it needs. It's not going to be pushed around much. Look at the guy next to him. Letter C. Anyone know what element that is? Carbon. Now, carbon's not super electronegative. It's got two in its first orbital, so that's stable. It's got four in the second, so it's kind of balanced between extremes there. It'll combine with a lot of stuff, but it's not angry about it. But if you've got exactly one more electron than stable, or exactly one less electron than stable. Ooh, you are just itching for a fight. You are looking for either somebody to dump that extra electron on, or somebody to <laughs> suck an electron from. Do you start to see how this applies to your relationships? Do you start to see how this applies to the kind of media that you feed yourself. If you're always feeding yourself media that has something to dump, 
or always feeding yourself media that has something it wants to take from you, you're not going to be stable either, just like they aren't. But if you're feeding yourself messages that are stable, that are full with the truth, that's a different story. Then your electrons are going to be filled up. Your orbitals are going to be full, and you're going to be stable too. When you're content, you don't have to react nearly as easily. These reactive elements are missing something vital. They're easily made to join with or split with other elements because their electron orbitals are not complete. We become reactive when our lives are not filled with God himself as we were made to be. We are restless, unstable, easily led to join with and split from others, never finding that missing peace that brings us peace and wholeness. When we have the peace that passes understanding from the presence of God inside of us, we're not as compelled to react violently to every passing atom and cause them to react violently in return. We don't have to search desperately, and we're not a danger to other searchers. Full, complete atoms don't react, but can share electrons with other elements and each other. This is the body of Christ principle displayed by molecular chemistry. Discretion is something we can choose when we have been filled and don't need to react. We don't need to cause drama because we're already living the greatest drama and we are on the winning side. We share in Christ's life, his adventure here on earth. We know we're in a war, so we don't need to react violently when we encounter opposition. We know Christ will provide for our needs, so we don't need to react fearfully when circumstances change. We know the world is lost unable to accept the truth without the gift of repentance or to live righteously without Christ's presence. So we don't need to react indignantly to the sin and the misery we should expect to find. And we don't have to post about it, rant about it, or complain about it. We know God knows. That's why he's at work. That's why he calls us to join him. Now, we do have feelings. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Jesus did too. He wept. He raged. He raised his voice. But not because someone pushed his buttons. He was deliberate in his responses. He directed his emotions. He wasn't led by them. Feelings are good servants, but bad masters. And Jesus mastered his flesh. He spoke to the masses, he fed them and healed them, but only to his close disciples did he invest the greater explanations. Jesus modeled discretion, being purposeful and personal with his greatest gift, himself. The Gospels are a series of scenes, each one with a personal, almost private connection between Christ and someone in need. And even then, not all of them were given a glimpse of what was going on inside Jesus. Jesus exercised discretion in his responses in every form, every situation. He was completely self-controlled, 
So he is able to help us develop this skill through the Holy Spirit because it's one of the fruits. Now the phrase discretion is the better part of valor comes to us from William Shakespeare who satirized a warrior who pretended to be dead on the battlefield to escape harm. In the warrior's defense, the warrior said the better part of valor was discretion, that the greatest part of courage was caution, which was meant to be ironic humor. Shakespeare used the character Sir John Falstaff as an example of cynicism rather than honor. So what we learned from this is that the saying was not meant to be taken seriously, but humorously. We were meant to be inspired by true courage rather than caution according to Shakespeare. Does that mean it's always better to be bold rather than careful? I doubt even Shakespeare would agree to that. But I do think we should expect our lives to have a mix of the two. Times of boldness, times of caution. Proverbs and Ecclesiastes often present opposite attitudes being right each in its own time, its own situation. No single attitude or impulse is always right or always wrong. C.S. Lewis described impulses as keys on a piano, which no one calls right or wrong on their own, but which can each be right or wrong depending on the tune being played, on which note is called for by the author of the music. Context and purpose determine whether a note or human impulse is right or wrong. So with regard to our reactivity, our impulses and emotions must be kept subject to our wills, able to be directed according to the obedience of Christ. They must be subjects, not leaders. We cannot follow any fleshly impulse or emotion blindly to any good end without additional guidance and discipline. For there is great freedom within discipline. The world doesn't want us to remember that great secret. The world says, more, more, put that checkbook away, there's more. Call right now and get the matching set of steak knives absolutely free. You deserve it. Hmm. The world says more to every impulse and emotion because it knows it can sell us more if we think we have to have it. Slaves are made in such ways. Now our children in our home have some habits. One of them is to turn out the light when they leave a room. Sounds like a good habit, yes? Christian comedian Tim Hawkins did a routine in which he talked about what it's like being a dad. And he said, half of being a dad just wander around the house turning off lights. <laughs> Dads, am I right? Getting some nods, some amens, yeah. <laughs> it's a good habit to turn off lights if you're the what? The last person to leave the room. How many times have you been the last person and someone before you is leaving and thinks they're the last person and turns out the light? Leaves someone in the lurch, clamoring for the lights to come back on again. Sometimes it happens in the shower, right? 
You're in the shower, somebody comes in, leaves, click, hey! I won't know how to get clean if the lights aren't on. You see, every good habit has to be employed thoughtfully. I can drive the TCF from our house, I won't say with my eyes closed because that wouldn't be smart, but with very little thought because I've done it so much. But I sometimes take the same route most of the way here, even when I'm going to other places, and I'll veer off to get there. But I have found that if I'm talking, having conversation while I drive, I'll miss my exit and I'll go straight to TCF, much to the confusion of all my passengers. We cannot navigate our lives to God's glory if we fall asleep at the wheel, physically, mentally, or spiritually. We are encouraged in several places in Scripture to be sober, vigilant, alert, circumspect. Are these words sounding familiar? And here we are again. Sober, watchful, limited, prudence. We are encouraged to be on our guard, guarding our hearts lest we fall into the snares of the enemy and the wrath of this world. The Christian life requires purposeful effort every day. Death to self. Take up the cross. Follow the Master, Jesus Christ. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Test the spirits. Judge yourselves that we may not be judged by the world. I'm going to click back here. Do you guys remember the first time you learned to drive an automobile with a standard transmission? Any chuckles as you remember what what went on during... (laughs) during the first couple weeks of having to drive that? I'll tell you mine. Um, My father-in-law, Jerry, blessed my wife with a gift of a 65 Mustang. And because we had just had two children and we needed a car that had more space for the car seats, she drove the station wagon and I took one for the team, and sacrificed by driving the Mustang to work every day. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was rough, yeah. What was really rough was the first two weeks driving it, because I'd never driven a standard before. (laughs) Thankfully, I didn't destroy the car. Those first two weeks, man, you're like, and then it stalls, and you're like, "Uh uh-oh. You remember those intersections on the hill? You remember the stop sign at the top of the hill? You remember the... You, uh. Is there anybody behind me? Is there anybody behind No, okay, okay. God kept me from hitting people. God kept other people from hitting me. <laughs> those first two weeks, man. Oh, I would get to work just... <laughs> no dents, Okay. Clutch still works. Transmission still works. We're good. (laughs) Aren't we glad all those memories of ours are not as fresh in the minds of other people? Uh, 
So for two weeks, I was a terror, mainly to myself. But after that, I could shift pretty good. Now when I get into a standard, I don't have any fears. I'm like, yeah, oh yeah, this is fun. It is kind of fun. Sometimes when you want an active drive, a standard is a lot of fun to use. Don't recommend it for like 15-hour road trips, but when you drive a standard, you can't check out like you sometimes can with an automatic. When you drive a standard, you're in for an active drive because you have to make decisions every time you change speed. And corresponding physical actions have to be taken, sometimes very suddenly. No room for texting or for drinking or even for using the radio sometimes. But after you get used to it, it's kind of fun. The Christian life is an active drive. There's times when you drive on the highway, even set the cruise control, but you have decisions to make and physical actions to take many times each day. Once you get used to it, it can be kind of fun. Walking with Christ is an adventure. You never know who might need to share one of your electrons. Or when something unexpected may require spiritual downshifting and pushing the clutch. Because we shouldn't be asking, what will I become someday? We should be asking, what does God want me to be doing right now? God is doing things. And we should be joining Him in doing them. Besides, He loves our company. And if we join Him, we will learn to love His company too. Just like driving, in, driving a standard, it takes time to get comfortable with the skills and you still have to be ready for surprises. Like being in column 18, however, we don't have to react out of fear or pain because he bore our sins and shame. By his stripes, we are healed. We have all we need for life and godliness in Christ. Indeed, all we long for and could ever need is found in him. In Him, we can become so full that we have something good to share with those who lack. Overflowing. We can overflow with all that He has. When light shines, its source is not depleted no matter how far the light travels. That's us. Undepletable. As long as we are connected to the infinite source, Christ Himself. He is the vine. We are the branches, and we're guaranteed to bear fruit as we stay connected to Him. We have electrons to share without losing our own stability. We're even better than column 18. We believers have more to work with in any situation than anyone else. We have the infinite Creator working for our good, the unstoppable Savior interceding and advocating for us, the spirit of truth inside of us. We have electrons to share from an undepletable source. We're learning how to make every drive an active experience and not fall asleep at the wheel of life. All because we are not the source of our stability. We depend daily on our faithful Savior who is undepletable, impossibly stable, 
and never surprised helping us drive through life. So be ready to engage your clutch, church. Share those electrons with confidence. Use discretion, not reactions, to employ all that our God has given us and helps us use for His glory. God has truly given to us all the parts of valor, not just the better part. And He gave us chemistry to help us understand how blessed we are having all we need for life and godliness. I hope you learned something worth sharing.